we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Welcome, everybody. So glad you're here, whether you're online uh, from a distance and down the road, you're at home, uh, you're in the hospital, you're down there at the bridge. Uh, we consider it a privilege that you would allow us to connect with you uh, in this way. If you're in the house, we know there's a lot of great churches around that you could go actually physically be in the flesh. And the fact that you would be here, uh, we're honored that you have done so. We would love to meet you out in the crossing and love to answer any questions you have about next weekend. We're going to talk about that a little bit more uh, in a moment. If you have your Bibles, please find Matthew chapter 28. We'll you have a hard Bible or your phone app, your phone Bible, Matthew 28, get your notes ready, whether it's on the app or whether it's the hard copy notes we had for you uh, when you walked in. Uh, we're going to camp out. We're not going to flip any pages this morning. We're going to camp out in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, before we do that, could we please uh, begin with prayer? God, we thank you again for your word, this powerful thing which just tells us so much about who you are, God. And it points us to a deeper understanding of the living word. And God, when, the, when, when your written word and the living word, when they come together, we, we understand this book called the Bible, it becomes a mirror. God, forgive us, God, for, for reading this book called your word, the Bible, to try to understand other people. Forgive us, God, when trying to, to read this book just to memorize it and to use it as a weapon and a leverage against other people, God. Forgive us, God, for, for how we misuse it, God. And we, we ask, God, now, even right now, that you would turn this book into a mirror. That as we read it, we see the depths not only of who you are, but who our soul says we are, who we really are. Help us become aware of the blind spots in our own life, in our character, uh, in our readiness, in our mental state, in our relationships, God. We, we ask you to do this, God, this morning. And God, I also ask that, that you would shine the light of truth into the hearts of men and women who are in positions of leadership in, in Russia and in the Ukraine and all the surrounding nations, God, NATO, that you would so shine the light into their own lives and their hearts that they would become aware of their own blind spots and they would have an encounter with Jesus. That each person who has the authority to make decisions to, to fight, to kill and destroy or to not, to retreat and to reconcile or to not, that they would come face to face with Jesus. And they become aware of the blind spot within their soul for power and control to having everyone think the same and act the same and live the same and vote the same, God. To let people live in the freedom that is, comes with Jesus. And to know who Jesus is. And God, we pray for those who live in both of those nations, particularly in the surrounding ones who are rendering aid. That they would experience the presence of our comforting Savior. That in their grief and in their suffering and in the chaos and destruction of their lives. That they would know peace that they would know Jesus because he is our peace. And we pray, oh God, that if there is something 
some way, somehow, you would even use us to answer that prayer. Do it. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in week three of a message series we are calling Blind Spots, and here's what we're doing. We're examining the truth about ourselves. And what we're learning is that we are actually blind to the truth about ourselves. We don't know the truth about ourselves. And because of that, we're talking about the importance of you and me in this season of Lent, learning what it means to examine myself, not examine my neighbor, not examine my spouse, not examine my kids, but to examine me. So I might become self-aware of where I'm blind, but because I have these mental blocks, because I am not objective about myself, I need help. And so we learn that God talks about the Bible over in the first chapter of James, that the Bible is like a mirror, and that when I read this thing called the Bible, it can be just like I'm looking directly into a mirror. And when I read the Bible, it tells me things about myself that I don't know about myself or that I'm blind to about myself, some things that I need to do to help take care of myself. And that's what this book is so much about and for. This thing I hope you're reading every single day and so at 10 or 15 minutes a day. That it will help you become more aware of you. Not your spouse, not your kids, not the person you're dating, not your grandparents, not your in-laws, but you. And I read it for that purpose. But even then, we know that some of us, we read the Bible in these crazy sort of ways to justify and rationalize what we want. Some of us come already pre-decided what we think this book has to say. Not about us, but about other people. But even about us. And so we justify it. And so that means that sometimes I need to have people in my life that will come and speak the truth in love to me. That I invite people into my life to help me become aware of those areas that even the way I read the Bible, I cannot be aware of. To tell me the truth about how I'm acting, how I'm behaving, how I'm I'm not connecting. And it's something that I invite into my life. People that I know that love me and trust, that I trust and want the best for me, have no hidden agendas. They're not trying to crush me. They're not trying to hurt me. They're not trying to get back at me. It's people, they just want the best for you and the best for the relationship. And I'm going to invite them into my life. Now, we know doing this is not easy. But I'm not going to grow unless I do. Last weekend, I talked to you a little bit about this thing called the fishbowl exercise. And I, I talked about how I'm thinking about doing this with our leadership staff. And so I was thinking about that exercise so you don't forget it. I thought about going and buying some betta fish and putting them out there in the fountain out there in the crossing. You know what betta fish are? Those are Siamese fighting fish. And I thought about just filling that thing, our fountain, where baptism is going to happen, by the way, after 11 o'clock service, because we got about eight or nine folks that are professing their faith and getting baptized, is that when they would step into that water of these Siamese fighting fish, they would put a little sign up there that says, these fish are living in transparent openness. And we want to be like these fish living in the light. How many of you think that's a good idea to do that? Yeah, not really a good idea. I really think it's a good idea. Because that pool is full of chlorine. It's going to kill those fish just like that, those beta fish. And then I'm going to think, well, gosh, we got to do something with those beta fish. And so I think we'll just feed them to cats, right? And make them cat food. But then it's going to kill the cats because there's chlorine in those little fish. And then one of you who loves cats, you're going to call Peter and have me arrested and have you carted off. And we'll say, Pastor, here's the last 10%. All good jobs don't last forever, right? Just sorry about that. So no, it's not a good idea. We're not going to do that. But we all want 
to live in the light, not in the darkness like cats. We want to step into the light and live in transparent openness. And we want to speak the truth in love, or do we? Hey, I want to speak the truth in love, but I certainly don't want to hear the truth spoken to me in love. I mean, I don't mind telling them, but I don't want to receive it. Because receiving it, it's kind of uncomfortable. In fact, it's kind of daunting. So here's number one thing in your message notes. Here's a blind spot for many of us. I want to make sure you understand this is the truth of all people. Blind spot. I will never be fully ready for the most important and daunting moments in my life. This is a real problem. It's a huge problem. And it's true of all of us. Dallas and I have three sons. They're all grown men. They're all married. Uh, off doing their thing. And we're very proud of all of them. But I remember when each of them were born, especially Justin, our firstborn. And Dallas, in coming home after the birth of Justin, her body was in total and complete shock. It was torn up. She was in induced labor for some 22 hours, and then they had a C-section back when they used chainsaws to do them, okay? And so she was really in a bad spot. And she had a urinary tract infection to go on top of it, and she was still in college. The birth was in November. Finals were right around the corner, and they would not give her a pass. Can you say stress? My wife is a pretty cool customer under stress. She's pretty steady, never gets too too high or too low. But could I say in this case, all of us can be in situations in our life where it's a little bit too much. You know what I'm talking about? And we kind of, and she kind of got lost in the what ifs, not too long after we're home. What if, what if, what if something happens to Justin? What if he gets sick and we don't know what to do? What if we drop him on his head? What if we don't discipline him enough? What if we discipline him too much? What if we mess him up and ruin his life forever? What if, what if, what if, what if? And I said, baby, baby, it's okay. Listen, if that happens, we'll just take him back and get another one. No big deal. Man, isn't it true that when you begin to have kids, at some point, at some point, you're going to get to a point and go, you know, I thought I was ready, but I really wasn't ready. I mean, I thought I was ready, but man, I can tell you, I'm not, I, I didn't expect this. I wasn't ready for this. Ready or not. Speaking of ready or not, this past week on Tuesday, March the 15th at 12.35 p.m., Dallas Ruth Owen, the third grandchild in the Owen family, came into existence three and a half weeks early. Nobody was expecting her, not even the mom and dad, James and Corinne. Here they are right here. I think we got another photo. Yeah, they're right there kind of ooing and cooing and everything. And she weighed in at a healthy three and a half weeks early at seven and a half pounds, six pounds, seven ounces and 18 and a half. Would y'all please just welcome Dallas Ruth Owen into the family. She's now a part of the family. And can I tell you, she said, ready or not, here I come. And little Dallas Ruth Owen's going to grow up, just like some of your kids, and just like some of you grew up. And they're going to get 17 or 18, right? And it's going to be time to leave the nest. And they're going to look outside that big old bad world where some of you are right now. Look at that big old bad world. They're going, man, that, that world is complicated. It's expensive. It's challenging. I'm not ready. And the parents are going, oh, you're ready. And you're going, ready or not. This is the problem of the human condition. You are never fully ready for the most daunting and most important moments in your life. But this will give you an excuse for not being ready. 
God wants you to be prepared. He wants to equip you and he wants you to be as ready as you can. But you'll never be fully ready. There's a great story of this in the Bible. We opened you up your Bibles to the very last chapter of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read it. This passage has exploded off the page for me in fresh ways here. I've read it thousands of times. But oh my goodness, here it is. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection. To the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this is an amazing passage of scripture. So much so people put the Bible together. They call it the Great Commission. He's given them a charge of what he wants them to do with their lives. And then you'll notice right there in the middle, he based it all on this. Verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, I want you to notice in verses 18, 19, and 20, the number of times the word all is used. I got them circled in my Bible. First, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Then he says, verse 19, go and make disciples of all. All nations, that is all people, no exceptions, no certain categories, all nations, all people, baptizing them all in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything, all things, not some things, not a few things, but all, everything I have commanded you so they can grow, mature, look like Jesus, love like Jesus, act like me. And surely I am with you. What? I'm with you when? Always, all the time, all days, every bit, to the very ends of the earth. Now, this is an incredible passage of Scripture. It's a charge. Here's what I want you to do with your lives. And the amazing thing about this Scripture, it is written and said and sent to people who are not ready. They're not ready. The first little clue we get they're not ready is in verse 16. It says the third word there is then the 11 disciples. Now, if you were back in the days of Jesus and you get this letter or you read this, that would just pop off the page you, that number 11. In fact, I got it circled in my Bible, 11. In the ancient world, numbers had certain meanings. I'm going to give you some meanings of some relative numbers that connects with this message. The first number there in your notes is the number three. The number three is associated with holiness, holiness. When you see that number, think holiness. The temple that they worshiped in was divided up into three sections. You had the outer courts, you had the inner courts, you had the holy of holies, three parts, holy of holies. When you were gonna say a blessing of God, the appropriate blessing of God is this, holy, holy, holy. Three holies, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. So the number three is a reminder to us of the holiness that exists in God. Then we have the number four. The number four is the earth and physical creation. When you see that number four, that's what it represents. The earth and physical creation. We have four different directions. We have north, we have south, we have west, and we have east. We have four dimensions, 
length, width, breadth, and height. And in their day, they believed the world was flat. So you had the four corners of the earth. But then you had the product of the number three and the number four, which in your notes is the union of the holy and the, hu- and the human. You have God and you have people. You have heaven and you have earth. And God and people, heaven and earth together, make the number 12 in your notes, which is wholeness or complete. God and people, heaven and earth, complete. The number 12 is a very revered number in the Bible. That's why there were 12 loaves of bread, the Bible records. That's why the priests have 12 gems, G-E-M-S, in their robes. And that is why, especially to the Jewish people, they hold on to the fact the 12 tribes of Israel. In the ancient world, 12 meant wholeness. It is the whole 12 tribes. It is the people of God. It's the whole family. The 12 tribes represents the whole family of God being together. They had the lunar calendar like we have. 12 months completes a year. Wholeness and completion. And then Jesus comes along. And by the time Jesus comes along, 12 is broken. 12 no longer exists. It's, it's kind of watered down. Back in 721, 722, Israel, the 12 tribes, they're attracted by these people called Assyria. And they're just decimated. The whole tribes are decimated. And you kind of have left really only two and a half tribes. You got Judah, you got Benjamin, and about half of the tribe of Levi. Other than that, they're just scattered all over the place. And people are longing for the 12 tribes, for the family of God to be reunited, for the family to be whole again. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus chooses 12 disciples. Do not miss this point. All rabbis had disciples. Some had fewer than 12. Some had more than 12. Jesus specifically chose 12 for a reason. Notice I also use the word chose. Most rabbis, to become a, a disciple of a certain rabbi, you had an application and you applied for your application to be accepted. It was beneath the dignity of a rabbi to go out and choose people. But Jesus, again, makes a recognition of how he's different from all the other rabbis. He lowers himself and goes out and chooses and selects who he is going to allow to follow him. And how many did he choose? Somebody tell me how many? Twelve. Do not misunderstand the importance of that. Do not miss it. He was making a statement. He was making a statement and a claim that would kill him. He made this statement to Rome and everyone in Israel who could hear. What God began long ago with the 12 sons of Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, what was broken and destroyed by the world is going to be restored by me and these 12 right here. I want you to see these 12 guys, he's saying. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. This is going to be what God is going to use to restore and to regather the whole family of God. 
And that is why when you read the Bible all the way through the New Testament, you see this number 12 all over the place, especially by the time you get to the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, and you've heard this read many times at a funeral. You go to a funeral, it talks about the city of God. This city which represents your and my life being redeemed when we stand face to face with Jesus and what sort of you're going to experience in heaven. And it talks about this beautiful city that has 12 gates, 12 tribes. It talks about every gate being made of 12 pearls. You've heard of the pearly gates? It comes from the book of Revelation. It says there's 12 angels, one at each gate to protect, but also to make sure it's very inclusive. Anybody who says yes to Jesus is welcome into these pearly gates. The number it talks about is 144,000. 12 tribes times 100, and really it's a symbol of 12 times 120,000 or 12,000 is that every tribe is going to be full. And that's all that symbolizes, what it means. It's going to be whole. And then in the middle of that garden is a tree of life in the middle of that city. And that tree of life is going to bear 12 different kinds of fruit every month of the year 12 times. As a symbol that in the city of God, there's resources for everyone. There are no needs will not be met. Church, I want you to understand this morning. 12, the number 12, they love the number 12. They couldn't wait for 12 to come back. And the disciples loved being the 12. In fact, they were called in the Bible, the 12. Now, when you looked at them individually, they were much. In fact, when you look at them individually, you said, really? Peter individually is known as the denier. Judas individually is known as the betrayer. Thomas individually is known as the doubter. John, if you were paying attention last week, is really the suck up who just wanted to be first at everything. Individually, they were nothing. But together, they were the 12. They were the ones that God was going to use to restore and redeem the entire world. But the scripture says in verse 16, but then the 11, there were only 11. Not whole, not complete. Wrong number. Not ready. We're not ready. It's only 11. And that's not only one indicator of the problem if they were not ready. Look right here at verse 17. In fact, let's put it on the screen. Let's say it together. When, say it with me out loud. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I want you to picture this. He says, I want you to come and meet me on top of this mountain. It's after the resurrection. He's been crucified. He's been raised to the dead. And so you're a disciple and you see Jesus coming to meet you. All 11 of you are there. And you go, oh my goodness, that's him. All hell, Jesus Holy, holy, holy is Lord God Almighty. Oh, come, let us adore him. Maybe. I think, I, I, I think, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, no, no way. Yeah, yeah. The scripture said some worship and some doubted. And I'm going to send you whether you're ready or you're not. So now they have this problem. Not only do they, have a, uh, they don't have enough numbers, they do not have enough faith. They just don't have a quantity problem. They have a quality problem. 
they don't have enough numbers and they don't have enough faith. And Jesus says, I want you to go. I want you to go anyway. Dale Brunner, this great theologian, makes this statement. I love this. The number 11 limps, it's not perfect like 12. The church that Jesus sends into the world is 11-ish. It is imperfect. It is fallible. Before he sends them, Jesus doesn't say, we got to get the numbers up. He doesn't say, we got to get your faith up. He says, I want you to go whether you're ready or not. And along the way, we'll take care of the numbers thing. And along the way, we'll take care of the faith thing. As long as you right now do the obedience thing and you do what I'm telling you to do, and that is to go. Go do something. And you will never, ever be fully ready for the most daunting and the most important moment in your life. And when somebody, when God comes to you and he asks you, I want you to go, here's what I know. You're never going to be ready. Ever. In fact, when you read the Bible, you cannot show me a time where you find where God goes to someone and says, I have something for you to do. I'm going to call you and send you out. Well, they go, oh, man, perfect timing. My life is exactly perfect. My tank's filled up, life is good, I'm ready. You can't show me. God comes to Moses and says, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh. I want you to tell him, let my people go. And Moses goes, eh, I don't think so. I'm not ready. I'm inarticulate. I'm slow of tongue. My tongue gets tangled. No, not, not me. God goes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I want you to go and liberate my people. He says, no, God, you don't understand. I come from the least of the 12 tribes, and I'm the weakest of every person of the 12 tribe, not me. God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to build a new community in you and your wife. Abraham laughs. Yeah, right. So you're going to let me have a son. I'm 100 years old. There's not a pharmacy around that has medicine that can make that work. You're not going to do that. No way. And then you keep reading on. You have Isaiah. When God called him, he said, no, Lord, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. He calls out Jeremiah. And Jeremiah says, sovereign Lord, I'm an only child. You can't mean me. Interesting. Sovereign Lord, great worship. He worshiped. Not me. He doubted. Not ready. The worth the scripture is full of it. Esther is called by God to go work for God to help her people. She says, I don't think so. The king hasn't summoned me. And if I go talk to the king, there's only one rule. Death. I'm not going. Not me. He says to the rich young the wealthy young ruler who wanted to follow Jesus. The wealthy young ruler, he really wanted to follow Jesus. So badly. He said, Tell me what I have to do. And he told him, and the scripture says, he went away sad because it wasn't ready to part with any of his wealth. And then he spoke the opposite to a woman named of Ruth who was poor, broke. She had nothing. And he said, I want to use you to help relieve your people from a great famine. She said, not me. Not ready. And then there's Saul, the first king of Israel. 
that when Samuel, the prophet Samuel, came to Saul and said, God wants to make you the very first king of Israel. He said, no, not me. I come, I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I come from the worst tribe and I'm the least of my tribe. You, you, I, I can't do it. I won't do it. When the day come for Saul to be anointed as the first king, everybody showed up for the anointing, the first king, but nobody could find Saul. And somebody asked, can somebody tell me where Saul even going to show up? And God said, yes, Saul's here. And the scripture actually says he's hiding among the baggage. Too inarticulate, too weak, too old, too young, too sinful, too dangerous, too rich, too poor, too busy, too much baggage. No one ever says, I'm ready, God. Awesome. I'm so glad you picked me. Let's go do this in your notes. Number three, God loves using people who aren't ready. God loves it. God's the master at it. God just loves using people who say, I'm not ready. And church, when you say, God, I trust you, whenever you come to that point in your life and you say, God, I trust you with my life, when God comes to you and he asks you to go do something, just do something, it's not about how you feel. Being ready and feeling ready are two totally different things. But you and I don't want to do stuff until we feel ready. And here's what we mean by that. We go, God, I will do this, but, but I'm not ready. And God said, no, 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 take a risk. Would you please take a risk? Please, would you connect with somebody? Would you share with somebody? Would you give to somebody? Would you do something for somebody? And you go, no, I'm just not ready. Here's what we're doing. Number four in your, in your notes, blind spot. I will always have a reason to say, no, I'm not ready. I will always have a reason. And here's why. You want to be self-sufficient, and you want success to be guaranteed. And if you can't feel like you can say yes and guarantee that you can do it and you will be successful, you go, I got this reason and this reason and this reason. I know, no, no, God, you, I'm not ready. And church, if you keep saying you're not ready, you'll never go. You'll never go. And you will miss out on what God wants to do in you and through you. You will miss out. Out, never, ever, ever, ever knowing what might have happened if you'd have obedient to the voice of God in your life. There are people who go to their graves never knowing because they were never ready. I recall years ago when I was between my ninth and 10th grade year and my good friend Wes and his family invited me to go vacationing with them uh, to Possum Kingdom Lake. And Wes and I were good friends. He had a sister that was 10. Uh, We played basketball together. We were in choir together and he invited me to go and I went. And on the very last day of our vacation, he wanted to ride over at Possum Kingdom to go to Hell's Gate. Uh, he wanted to go jump off of Hell's Gate, and he wanted me to jump with him. Uh, this is before, this is before te- the state of Texas outlawed jumping off this cliff because people died jumping off this cliff. People's bodies were maimed jumping off this cliff. Today, you cannot do it. You will get arrested, and they do the Red Bull diving contest there. So Wes and I are there. He wants, he's done this before, and we're standing there on the edge of this cliff looking down, and I'm about to puke. And I'm just, wow. And he says, are you ready? 
said, no. I said, some other words too. I said, no. I made it very clear. I'm not ready and I'm not going. I was very clear. West jumps. And before I can say a word, his 10-year-old sister pushes me. <laughs> Boom! Ready or not. And that's exactly what's happened in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus takes the disciples up to the top of a mountain. He meets them, the crucified and the resurrected Jesus at the top of the mountain. And they're not ready. Not enough numbers and not enough faith. And he says, you go anyway. You have to risk, you have to try, you have to do something, you have to share, you have to connect with one more, you have to let them know who I am, and you got to trust me. And the reason you do this is not because you feel ready. It has nothing to do with you feeling ready at all. Here's what it is. Number five, here's what obedience is. Obedience is going when Jesus is ready, not when I am ready. Go, risk, share, connect with someone, invite with someone. Do it. Not because you're ready. Because I'm ready. And all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And not only that, I will be with you. I will be with you. What does it say? Always. I'm sending you and I'm going to. Anybody know the connection between Texas A&M and the Seattle Super Seahawks. You may know the connection. They both call their fans the 12th man, right? The 12th man. And they had this idea that their fans are the loudest in the league of their respective leagues. So much so the Seattle Super Seahawks a few years ago, they set a Guinness Book of World Record of 136.7 decibels. It's in the Guinness Book of World Records. So loud, at 100 decibels, you can have hearing loss. At 100 decibels, it's like being 100 yards away from a jet taking off. And they contend that the loud crowd that they claim the loudest in their leagues is the secret sauce which allows them to win the games that are close when it comes down to the end. You and I are so 11-ish. And Jesus says to the eleven. You're not going to go until you wait till there's 12. And I'm telling you, I'm the 12th man. I'm going with you. I will always be with you. I am your secret sauce. I am your secret one who will help you win at the very end when you think you're going to lose. Because I will be with you, not just some days, not just a few days, but every single day. Always, he says, to the very end of your life. Every single day of your life. I will never, ever, ever not be with you. Not just on good days. Not just on days when you read your Bible. Not just on days when you come to worship. Not just on days when you pray and you get up and you have your spiritual armor on. I will be with you every day, every single day, every single second, every single moment of your life. On bad days, you will have bad days. You will have bad hair days. You will have bad news days. 
You will have bad marriage days. You will have bad parenting days. You will have bad work days. You will have many, 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 many bad days, but you will never have a bad Jesus day. You may wake up on the wrong side of the bed, but you will never wake up on the wrong side of Jesus because he is always with you. And so many Christians, they come to church, they watch online in their PJs because it's comfortable and convenient. They read their Bibles, do a little bit here and there. And then Jesus says, I want you to go. I want you to risk. I want you to jump off some some sort of cliff, whatever that means. I want you just to do something with your life. Stop just spectating. Just stop watching. I want you to give. I want you to share. I want you to connect with one more. I want you just to bless somebody. I want you to get out of your little comfort zone and think about somebody besides yourself and your own little family. Do something. And we go... You know what I find interesting? Most of us as Christians who say they're followers of Jesus, we don't say no to Jesus. You know what we say? We say not yet. Sometimes, so, so someday, someday, but not yet. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think of some place in your life where you know that God has been speaking to you. I want you right now, this very second, I want you to grab hold of some place in your life. Online, at home, hospital, traveling, spring break, whatever. I want you to think of some place in your life right now that you know God has been speaking to you to do X, whatever X is, and you've been saying not yet. That this morning, you're going to say yes to. Maybe it's, maybe it's calling somebody and say, I'm the problem. I'm sorry. I apologize. I stuck my foot in my mouth. I was blind to it. Maybe you're going to go to your spouse and you're going to say, listen, sorry for putting on you. I'm going to go to counseling to try to figure out me. Work on me. I'm going to do it. Maybe you're going to call, you're just going to call somebody and check on somebody. You've been having that nudge. Call, call Joe. Call Mary. Call, check on. And you just haven't done it. But today you're going to do it. Maybe God has been very, very clear to you. You felt this earth. Okay. You have an alcohol issue, you have an addiction issue, you have an issue, and you know you have it, you're blind to it, you're the depth, you think, oh, I can handle it, I can manage it, but down deep, you know you can't, and God keeps, you're going to go to an AA group, you're going to go to somebody, to a person and say, I have a problem, I need help. You know you have an issue with pornography. You know you do. God has been making, you keep ignoring it. I could go on and on and on and on. Hey, maybe, maybe you know God's been saying go back to college and finish that degree. Step out there in faith and try that new opportunity. You hate your job. You hate it. Step out in faith. I'm going to lead you. But you can't, not yet. But today, you're going to say, yes, I will go. What would it be?
I was visiting with a young man in his church who had given his life to Jesus, and we were talking. Money came up, and he brought money up. He said, you know, Pastor, one day I'm going to give. That's what he said. One day I'm going to give. I said, you are? I said, yeah, one day I'm going to give. He said, but right now I'm established in my job. I'm just getting established in my job. But one day I'm going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to save a lot of money, and I'm going to pile up a lot of assets. And one day I'm really going to be a generous person. I said, you are? Yeah, one day I'm really going to be. And I think it's very interesting. You and I judge other people by their outward behaviors, but we judge ourselves by our most noble, innermost intentions. Have you ever noticed that? See, here's what he's thinking. Yeah, 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 I believe in generosity. Yeah, 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 I, I think one day I'm going to be generous. Yeah, 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 already I, I am really a generous person while he's hoarding, while he's keeping everything to himself. He's already convinced himself, I am a generous person. Really what he's saying is, not yet. Do you know what you say when you say not yet and God says go? You know what God hears? God hears no. Not yet means no. Yes means yes. What area in your life do you know that God has been speaking to you of something you need to do? But you just keep saying not yet. Maybe it's serving. Next weekend, serve together weekend. And you're going, I'm out. I'm not ready for that sort of experience. I'm out. Boy, you're missing out. You're going to miss it. During the pandemic, we had something right here called the mobile food pantry. And that's when the church was shut down. Nobody could come in the building, but we had this opportunity to feed some people. So there was two kids in the church, 14 and 17, who said that they wanted to help with the mobile food pantry. They couldn't get up here unless their dad brought them. Their dad had a little bit of a bad back. He couldn't help load boxes and carry the food to put it in the cars. So the dad came and said, okay, I'll take it. He thought the kids were weird. Instead of playing uh, boxes games and being on the phone and television, they wanted to come to the church and do this. He said, I can't, my kids are so weird. He, want, he didn't even like God or like church or anything like that. But he brought his kids because they wanted to do this. Well, every time on the way home, they started talking about how awesome it was. And they met this woman who could barely speak a word of English. She was Hispanic. But she tried, and in that conversation, they learned that she had a four-and-a-half-year-old boy with a heart defect. And that 14- and 7-year-old saw how that young mother just really fought for her kid and how much she loved her kid, how brave she was. They just talked to her dad about it all the time. He couldn't believe it. So one day, they're there out there in the crossing, and they're loading boxes. And you look up, and all of a sudden, the dad, who had the back problem, he couldn't load boxes. He's, he's helping the kids, and he carries a light box out there with him. And before you know it, this car comes up with that woman and that kid, and he actually helps put the food in that particular car. And the woman stops and turns to him and says, listen, I want you to know something. Your kids are awesome. Thank you for raising such godly kids. Next week, the man comes back and brings his kids. And this time, from the very beginning, he's packing boxes and carrying them out to cars. Because it turned out he did not have a back problem. He had a heart problem. His heart was not ready. But God uses people and changes people who are not ready when they're just obedient and they go do it. I want to be very clear before you walk out this door. Very clear. Serve together weekend. Next weekend, you have three choices. Next weekend, worship will not look like this. You have three choices. We're going to worship. We're going to worship by serving, being the world that God loves. Here's choice number one. 
You can go onto your app or go out here in the crossing and say, I want to serve on a project that may not be during worship time. It may be on Saturday morning. Maybe there's eight of them. And you would go to that project and work with a team of people to serve and be a blessing to people in the community. There's eight of them. You can do that. Number two is, you can come here tomorrow, Sunday morning, during your regular worship time or any worship times, and we're going to have something on the campus for you to do that's going to be a servant and blessing to other people. You can do that if you want to. But even for Ukraine, we're going to do something on site for Ukraine here in the center. Okay. Here's number three. You just pick what you're going to do on your as a family or as a household. You pick. Hey, kids, we're going to go take care of somebody's yard in the neighborhood this week. We're going to go buy a bunch of people lunch. We're just going to keep, we're just going to keep going through McDonald's and keep or starve and keep pay, paying it back. Just keep paying. We're just, that could be an expensive thing, but we're going to do something. You're going to call somebody and just go sit down and listen to them, have a conversation. But you're going to do something and you figure out, or you can do all three of them in combination. You, you, you choose, serve together weekend, but just don't say, I'm not ready. Jesus gathered the 11. Not enough faith, not enough numbers. He said, I just want you to go. Just go connect people to me. Just go let them know how much I love them. Just go, let, go be my hands and feet. Just go into the world and let them know. Just, just go serve the world and let them know. Just go. Just go. There was this man in the church who'd been invited his neighbor to come to the pathway to worship for many, many years, and he wouldn't go. Because here's what he said, not interested in church, not interested in faith, not interested in God. I'm just not interested at all. And then one day he invited him to go with him to a hope project. We have a hope team here around Pathview, and that's what some of these eight projects are. They're hope projects. And that is where we go to someone's house. For whatever reason, help clean it up, paint, fix a few things, clean the yard, because it's going to be condemned, and the family's going to be evicted. This guy, loved, he, didn't hate, he hated church, hated church people, but he loved to, to fix things and to help people. So he said yes. So he showed up at this site, not even close to the church, but church people were there. And all of a sudden he sees that church people, two to, age 2 to 92, families of all ages were there just doing stuff. He realized, hey, they're not any different than I am. They aren't some cult group and holy bunch of holy rollers all the time and Jesus this and Jesus that. They were just ordinary people that wanted to help people. And he said, you know what? I was in shock. I didn't know these people were kind of like me. A few weeks later, he shows up to worship. Not even invited. Comes back. His heart being open to God comes back he's learning about Jesus he's a Johnson County jailer big husky strong crusty guy one time after worship you leave he stays and this big old giant man starts weeping like a baby because he had an encounter with Jesus and changed his life and it began Ready or not, because somebody invited him to go serve. Jesus gathered the 11. Not enough. Not enough number, not enough faith. He said, just go. Just go. 
Go let people know how much I love them. Go let people know that I came to restore the world. Just go and do it. Be my hands and feet and connect people to me. Just go do it and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You say, Pastor, that's where I stop. I'm not baptizing anybody. I'm not talking about God. I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm not ready to do that. Could you please just invite somebody? Could you please just bless somebody with your presence? Could you please just do that? And I'll tell you what, we'll do the rest. Just invite them. On Easter Sunday, please right now start inviting people to Easter Sunday. Because on Easter Sunday, I'm going to do my best to give the most succinct. You're going to say, Pastor, I've never heard you give a succinct message ever. The most succinct 15-minute message I can that's clear about Jesus. And we're going to invite people to make a, drive a stake in the ground to be baptized the following weekend. That's going to happen on Easter Sunday. But it's not going to happen unless you invite. You, and that begins, maybe, maybe you know somebody that's not interested in church. Right? Or maybe it's you. Maybe you here can hear my voice. You never, ever drove a stake in the ground and publicly said, I want to be baptized I can think of a greater weekend than Easter weekend. I want the world to know. I love Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be baptized that next weekend. Boom. But maybe you know somebody. Not interested in church. Not interested in God. Not interested in faith. Invite them next weekend to serve with you. And you're saying, I don't think I'm ready to do that. Act anyway. Ready or not, Jesus is ready. And he's waiting on you. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.